back to Kickoff with Boomer Esiason and Mike Valenti. All right, a lot to do in the last segment of this uh, gala affair. Uh, we have best of the best. We've got a trade desk. We got Boomer's final word. This I say best of the best lightly this week. This is an entertainment game. Let's hit it. This week's best of the best of the best of the this best, week's of, best the of the best. So, nothing overly sexy this week, but this is an interesting game. Potential fireworks, cards, minus two, hosting Seattle. So we can talk the game, but I think there's some stuff surrounding it, too. Yeah, I do, too. And the thing I love about what, what this game really epitomizes is a kid, a kid, a man by the name of Geno Smith, who's been in the league for 10 years, who has finally found his happy spot, who's found his game, who's found his wide receivers, who's found his coach. He's been there for three years in Seattle. And anybody who's known Geno's arc here in his career, you got to be really happy for him. I mean, you really got to be happy for him. And by the way, you know, he stuck it to the Giants after the game last week, after they beat the Giants. He said, I, je- I dedicate this victory to Ben McAdoo and Jerry Reese, mm. two guys who knew what I could do, but I never really got a chance to do it in New York. And now it comes on the heels of them getting rid of Russell Wilson. So he's the most popular player in the locker room right now. So he's at the right place at the right time. And I know DeAndre Hopkins came back, and the Cardinals played well offensively. But you know what? The Kyler Murray. Just no, we got to get. get it we got to. We got to get into that. He can't. Just can't get it done. Did Him you see the interception angry. to Harrison Smith? I did. What? Of course, I did. What? Huh? Yeah, exactly. So th- this is why they wanted to put that clause in his contract: extra film time, extra tape time. Be a leader. Don't just be an athlete on the field and go out there and play like Zach Wilson plays. He's a little bit more refined than Zach Wilson. He's had more success than Zach Wilson because he's a better runaround athlete. I think he has more ability. And he has more intuition about him. There's no question about that. But, man, he's just like a loose cannon on the field. I mean, even in the last drive of that game, you know you have no timeouts. You understand that sacks are going to be debilitating. He takes back-to-back sacks. I I just, Boomer, I, I, I want to like him. Because the ability is so tantalizing, but it's like, maybe this is just who he is. You know what? I wouldn't have given him the contract extension myself, but then again, I don't know the internal politics there. I just know that, you know, I, I, I think players like him. I just don't know necessarily that they truly respect him as the leader of that team. And I do believe that the Seattle Seahawks respect Geno Smith. And that's that's the dichotomy here yeah. for me. Um, and I do think that the Seahawks got a really good thing going right now. It's one, you know, honestly, when you look at it, it's one of the great, if this is real, and I, I have to believe it is, it's one of the great QB transitions of all time that didn't feature a number one pick. Like, uh, it, How about Jim Plunkett? I guess he was a number one pick, right? Well, I, I'd, I'd prefer once TV wasn't in black and white. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, but, he, but he leaves the Patriots, go to the Raiders, and right. they win Super Bowls. But like here, you go from Russell Wilson, you get your Super Bowl, you make two of them, and then you trade him. And you don't have the top pick in the draft, you don't draft a quarterback, and you look like you found your franchise guy. You know, I have a, a very good friend who's close friends with Pete Carroll, and of course I'm friends with Pete, but I don't talk to him as much. Uh, who told me that before the season that Pete Carroll is not worried at all about his quarterback situation. He's more than happy to go into the season with Geno Smith as his starting quarterback. And this was before they even announced that. That's amazing. And the reason he said that was because of his popularity in the locker room and because he knew that he had a good young team coming 
And now you have a veteran quarterback with two young offensive tackles, with two wide receivers that are as good as anybody in the league in terms of the way that they're playing with their quarterback. And they have Kenny Walker, who can run the crap out of the ball. And I know you pointed this out. You pointed it out weeks ago. And so you now all of a sudden have a young defense that is making plays. Oh, by the way, rookie corners, including this Wooten kid they found in like the seventh round, and he's great. And the Seahawks feel like they can rebuild on the fly, and they have a quarterback that they found a little bit with a diamond in a rough kind of mindset. And and everything just worked out for them. That's why I'm taking the Seahawks in Arizona. I'm with you. I can't trust the Cardinals. By the way, one and three at home. And when you look at who the Cardinals have beaten, I think it's Carolina. They've, they've beaten two awful teams. But there's no question DeAndre Hopkins' back really does help them. And I think it makes Kyler a little bit more comfortable and poised because he knows he's got his main weapon out there and he could throw it to him and he's going to go up and get it. If they lose this game, and, and everyone knows the splits, and I can bring these to the table next week. I don't have them in my notes this week, but Pre-week 8, post-week 8, the Cardinals go death spiral mode every year. If they lose this game, I mean, what is it all? I, is there a chance Kyler asks out? Yes. I yeah, would see, think I so. feel like he doesn't trust Kingsbury. There's something weird there. So Steve Keim, their GM, put the two of them together because, you know, this, this is going to be the mastermind offense the with the player that, you know, comes out of that kind of, uh, you know, that uh, air raid offense and all this other stuff. But if the quarterback is not dedicated and is not studying and doesn't really know what he's doing on the field and can't be that quarterback that stays in the pocket, you're going to get some wins, you're going to get some exciting plays, but you're not going to get the wins that you need. And this is a win that they certainly need to save their season if they want to. Yeah, I'm going to take Seattle. I'll take the team. At least I know they're going to put their hard hat on. They're going to show up. They're going to compete. And they generally don't do stupid things. Number one, they love their coach. Number two, they love their quarterback. And the coach and quarterback love each other. So that's that's those yeah. three relationships right there usually lead to a winning season. All right, so I, w- I wanted to do this. With the trade deadline – I want to encapsulate everything, give you a chance to riff and kind of tell me, you know, hey, we all love splashy deals. The NFL never used to make trades. I love this. This, I this week was great. It's becoming the NBA trade deadline or what the NHL deadline used to be. It used to be firework city. But let's just start out. I'm going to roll through these. Give me your gauge on it and then kind of the impact. So start with the Ravens. You mentioned Roquan Smith. They don't have a real playmaker at the linebacker level. Patrick Queen's okay. What does Roquan do for them? I think it's the third best trade acquisition by a team during this trade little scenario that had gone on here. And I, the reason I say that is because if you want to play defense in Baltimore, you got to have the Ray Lewis type. you got to have a guy that is a tackling machine, and that's exactly where Roquan Smith is. I think it also sends a bad message to the, the Bears and their players that are left behind. But, you know, I think they kind of curtailed a little bit of that negativity by adding Chase Claypool. What was their hesitancy in just paying Roquan? That's what I don't get. There's an off the ball linebacker. They're not worth it. They're like they're the running back of the defense. Right, but they have the most cap space in the league per their cap table for next year. But that's also you never know what Roquan Smith wanted. And you know okay. that's a, that's that's a new general manager out there. That's a new coach in Chicago. So they're they're rebuilding around Justin Fields and like we said earlier in the show, Justin Fields, over the last two weeks, now all of a sudden has shown that he can handle the NFL, and I think they're pretty excited about that out there. All right, so hit me with Chase Claypool. Big-bodied, red zone target, didn't quite make it in Pittsburgh. How does it help him? Well, for me, it's a win for Pittsburgh because they got the high second-round draft pick from Chicago, and the reason I say that is because they weren't going to keep Chase Claypool anyway. You know, They didn't care for him in Pittsburgh 
Uh, they were going to trade them. It was just a matter of time, and they they ex- extracted exactly what they wanted—a high second-round pick, right. which essentially—and Pickens is better than him. right. And was essentially this a high second-round pick is an extension of the first round. Agreed, totally. especially when it comes to wide receivers. Especially when every team reaches for QBs who aren't first-round picks. Right. So I think I think Pittsburgh wins this one, but I also think it helps Justin Fields because he's got a big-body wide receiver, and much like Calvin Ridley, will help. Uh, Trevor Lawrence down in uh, Jacksonville next year, I think this could be something that works out really well for the Bears. It's just that they gave up a little bit more than I would have liked them to give up. Dolphins acquiring Mm. Bradley Chubb. Okay, for me, this is the number one draft acquisition. This is big. And they gave him a five-year contract extension. So that tells you that Chris Greer and the Dolphins are all in. And with what they got going on on offense right now, all they really needed was an additional pass rusher to kind of like secure that defense and take some of the pressure off of the secondary. So I love this draft. I love the fact that the Dolphins are all in. If I were a Dolphin fans, I would be all over this. And line him up next to Christian Wilkins, same side. You deal with that. Just low-key, I don't mean to geek out, I love the acquisition of Jeff Wilson. Familiarity with the McDaniel scheme. Chase Edmonds was a zero. Now they've got Mostert and Jeff Wilson both know this guy's system inside and out, and I think Wilson's an underrated guy. That was a nice move. Um, Bills, this is my geek moment. Forgive me. Acquiring Naheem Hines, I loved this move. Loved it. Yeah, he was under he was underutilized in Indianapolis, and I think that was one of the reasons for that was because they were playing from behind, and you know they they wanted to get him about ten touches a, a week. Uh, he's that kind of player out of the backfield, but he was only getting about six touches uh, a week, and I know that he was unhappy, and there's a contract situation now coming up with him. Yep. Uh, this is the perfect fit for the Bills. It's amazing. I remember way back when in week two or three, my morning partner, Gio, floated the idea about a Saquon Barkley trade to the Bills. Everybody was getting all excited, but all of a sudden the Giants are 6-2, and two, so they can't trade that player. But this is what you do. You add a, a playmaking back out of the backfield to add with um, – Josh Allen, I think, is a terrific move by the Bills. And again, another move to show you that they're all in. All in. And get, hey, listen, just envision third and medium, ice cold day in Buffalo. Offense isn't quite going. Got to get a first down. Naheem Hines out of the backfield. That's five yards. That's moving the sticks. And by the way, I know on, you don't have this team on the list because the trade happened before the trade deadline, but the Christian McCaffrey trade to yeah. the San Francisco 49ers is my second best move. Yep of the trades that took place before the trade deadline. And the reason I say that is because now you have Ayuk, Kittle, Samuel, Christian McCaffrey, a healthy offensive line, a healthy defensive line, and I think they are the best team in the in, in the NFC. And even, even though there is an undefeated team by the name of the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, and real quick, Hawkinson to the Vikes. Uh, from the Lions' perspective, I mean, Brad Holmes, do you see what the GM said? I would have made this deal at 6-1. and one. Right, and I'm Diana yeah. Ross. Well, again, I think it has something to do with the salary cap and the move, and they probably know him better than uh, than, than I do. Well, he's um, horrible blocking. I, I, would, I would say this. Because Irv Smith got hurt for the Vikings, this is the same thing that happened to the Jets when they, when they lost Brees Hall and they added James Robinson from the Jags. I appreciate the aggressiveness of the Vikings to try to get somebody in there that has some experience that can help in the passing game. And that, that's going to help the Vikings. There's no question about that, especially with Irv Smith now on the shelf probably for about 10 weeks. Just give me 30 seconds. Biggest loser of the deadline, Packers? Yeah, they did nothing. And I can't imagine that um, that Aaron Rodgers is happy about it. And I wouldn't be happy about it if I were him. 
and I think this is going to be a you know a long end of season slog here for the Packers. I really thought that was a Brandon Cook spot. I don't know what happened there. Eighteen million dollars, man. Nobody wanted to accept that guaranteed eighteen million dollars. He signed a thirty-seven million dollar contract next year, guaranteed eighteen million. If the Texans would have eaten some of that, then sure. maybe they would have added him to the Packers. But Brandon's got to understand he signed a contract. That contract was hard to move, and then he walked out on the Texans and didn't yeah, play personal reasons. Yeah, which sure. really sucks. I I hate it, but you know he's back. He'll be back next week, and they'll figure it out moving forward. All right, let's get to Boomer's final word. What you say after this don't matter. This is the final word. You know, one thing we're finding out, Mike, in the NFL, and you and I do this every week, that it is so unpredictable that there's going to be two or three teams this week that are underdogs that really, you know, they have losing records, and they're going to be the team that feels like they're just ready to turn the corner. And we saw that last week, you know, with the Dolphins and with the Carolina Panthers. We saw that with the Colts, and, you know, they lose to the Washington Commanders. You know, who is the team or teams this week that are going to be the ones that think that they're turning the corner and all of a sudden they're going to get slapped down the way the Bengals did on Monday night? I'll give you two. Okay. Atlanta and the Jets. And I know I know the Jets lost last week, but 5-2 and two playing the Patriots compared to we just lost two divisional games, look bad against the Pats, get blown out against the Bills. It could the bloom could be off the rose a little bit. Yeah, I think the Jet fan probably feels like last week was an opportunity that was missed because it would have been seventeen to three had Franklin Myers not been called for roughing the passer. And to me, in my eyes, that's very questionable. The other aspect here is is that I think Jet fans are realizing that their team is playing the best team in the right. league right now, and yeah. that's the Buffalo Bills. All right, we'll get at you next week. we got a midseason report, all the results, all the opinions, maybe another dinner bet. That is Kickoff with Boomer and Valenti. It's Kickoff, it's kickoff. with Boomer and Valenti.